Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. Today, I'm excited to be back talking, uh, continuing in our series on the Psalms. I'd actually planned to do the same one that Pastor Chase did two weeks ago, Psalm 32. And here's the funny part. I listened to parts of his message from two weeks ago on YouTube, but I missed the beginning and where he read the scripture. And I was planning on Psalm 32 until I talked to him at the beginning of the week. Uh, so the Lord was speaking to us in a similar way, obviously. Really grateful to Pastor Chase and Wendy and Joey, uh, all of them for doing a great job while we were gone, taking care of everything. I had several other Psalms lined up to choose from, so moved on to the next one. And today we're talking about the reason we sing. Reason we sing. You can turn in your Bible, Psalm 145, if you want to be ready to read here in a moment, 145. You know, in our lives as people, there are just about always reasons that we do what we do. For example, I showed up here on Tuesday, and oh, I have it over here. Sorry, I'm going to walk off the camera, Chris, but I have it over here. I showed up in this garishly bright Steelers sweatshirt. Got this at Ross in Hawaii, actually. It's pretty close to zippers in the sides. And uh, I came in, and Pastor Joey said, Steelers, huh? He said, why would a lifelong Idahoan be a Steelers fan? And it's a really good question, right? Why would a lifelong Idahoan wear something that is yellow and black and red with Steelers misspelled? Like, a lot of people see Steelers, and they're like, why isn't that S-T-E-A-L-E-R-S? Because right? they're steel workers, and they're in Pittsburgh. Why would a lifelong Idahoan be a Steelers fan? Why would a lifelong Idahoan wear an ugly sweatshirt like this? The reason is this. My dad, when I was young, he liked the Steelers. And his reason for liking the Steelers was he liked this guy named Terry Bradshaw. So why do I wear a Steelers sweatshirt? Well, it's because my dad liked the Steelers. He liked Terry Bradshaw. And then in the 90s, when I started to pay attention, they went to the Super Bowl and they lost to the Cowboys horribly at the last second, and I probably cried. I was like 15, and I probably actually cried. They've won a couple since then. I'm a devoted sports fan. That's the reason I wear the ugly sweatshirt. Why do we here in Boise wear two colors that are bright and actually kind of clash, blue and orange? Why do we wear those all the time? Because the other colors of Boise State, right? Down the street, right? There is a reason that we do that. It's a reason that we do what we do as humans. To that end, in our lives as believers, there is a reason that we sing. As we read through this psalm together this morning, we're going to notice uh, one thing about the author David, and that is that he seems to be pouring out every bit of praise that's in his heart that he can muster. Now, David, he wrote 73 of the psalms, and this is the last of that group. We don't know if it was the last one he wrote, but it's the last one the way the books are, the way the chapters are set out. Also, if you were to read this psalm in Hebrew, which I cannot do, each verse starts subsequently with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I'm not a Hebrew scholar at all, so my analyzing of the Hebrew does not go any farther than that. But what that piece of information tells me, what it tells us is that David was doing his best at using the language he knew to give praise to his God. He's thinking, what is the most beautiful touching, poignant way I can write this. That's what I'm going to do. What we are talking about this morning is why we come here and we sing songs of praise and adoration to God. Why we sing during the Christmas season this beautiful song, Oh, come let us adore him. 
why the first thing that Jesus says when he's instructing his disciples on how to pray, there's this thing in the New Testament called the Lord's Prayer. The first thing that Jesus does is he gives thanks to, his, to God, his Father. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus says to his disciples, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This morning within Psalm 145, we see the reasons that we sing. First reason that we sing is when we sing, we enlarge God's place in our heart. Read with me this first passage of scripture I have for you on the screen. I'll Psalm 145, one through seven today. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. If we think of our hearts, friends, if we think of our hearts like a house, when we give praise and adoration to God in any way, we allow his presence to expand to all the corners of our hearts that maybe we don't even know exist. We allow his presence to expand to the attic that everyone kind of forgets is there most of the time. And this psalm to me can really be broken down into two different parts. And later on, we're going to talk about God's role. But here in this, these verses we just read, this is our role here on the earth. And sometimes uh, in the hustle and bustle of our life, we forget that one of our jobs on earth is to give glory to God. If you are a believer in Jesus, one of your jobs on earth is to give glory to God. And this is what David is committing to do here in these first uh, few verses of Psalm 145, right? In verse 1, he says, I will exalt you, my God and King, he says in verse 1. In verse 2, he says, every day I will praise you. And I believe, friends, that God, uh, throughout our lives, he gives us many different things to do. And I even believe that he changes it up here and there in his timing, the seasons change. You know, when we are young, one of the main things that we do, the job we have is we're supposed to go to school. And as we grow older, our responsibility grows and what we do with our time changes. Even when we become adults, the job we do to provide for ourselves, to provide for our family, it often changes. The neighborhood we live in changes. The makeup of our family changes. Sometimes when you're 44, you have a baby, and that means you're going to be like 62 when they graduate from high school, but who's doing the math, you know? <laughs> my adult life, uh, you know, since I graduated college, I've been fortunate to be in ministry my whole life, work at a church. I was a youth pastor first, and... Uh, it was awesome, and then I moved from being a youth pastor to a worship and associate role where I led the songs every week, and uh, I was an associate pastor, so I essentially did everything at the church that Pastor Stan, the senior pastor, uh, didn't have time to do or couldn't do. We also had a nonprofit uh, that we ran there for uh, kids after school that at its peak, we had 70, 80 kids from CUNA that had no place to go that would come to our church after school, and we'd... Uh, provided a safe place for him to be. So I was a worship pastor. I was an associate pastor. I was a nonprofit runner. I was a fundraiser, all kinds of things. I've talked to you before about after that was over, we had this in-between time, six months, where I didn't have a position at a church or an official job. 
Then I became the lead pastor here. And in all those seasons, my role within my family has changed. When I first started as youth pastor at Christian Faith Center way back 2003, wasn't even married, had not even really met Chandra. But if I am following David's example and the example that's set forward for me in God's word, then my decision to give God glory does not change based on my situation. Married, kids, not kids, doesn't matter. Does not affect, shouldn't affect my decision to give God glory. The, my position at the church, how much money I make, how much influence I have, it should not affect uh, my decision to give God glory. In your lives, friends, your position, what's going on, your financial well-being, it should not affect your decision to give God glory. What we see in David here and what we need in our hearts is this conscious decision to enlarge God's place in our heart by giving him glory each day. Now, verse three, it puts this little wrinkle into the equation, though, because I think it's really easy to praise someone or something that we understand completely if what they're doing makes sense to us or if something that we had hoped would happen happens. Verse three, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. It's easy to give thanks or appreciation for stuff that you understand, for stuff that you can fathom. But it can be much tougher, at least for me, when it comes, especially when it comes to someone in authority, someone who's making decisions for you, much tougher to give praise when we don't understand what the person is doing. But David tells us here in verse three that this precisely is one of the reasons we praise God. We don't praise God in spite of the fact we can't fathom it. We praise God because we can't fathom it. We praise God because we don't understand everything that he is doing. We praise God because he knows better than we do. Believe it or not, friends, in your life, no matter how well you think you got it figured out, how many spreadsheets you've got, how, how dialed in you have it, God knows better than we do. And when we praise God, even though we don't understand what he is doing, we are replacing the power in his hands and we're removing it from our own. When I say, God, I don't understand what's happening today, but I place the power in your hands, the authority in your hands, and I, I take it away from myself. When we do this, we enlarge God's place in our heart. How many of you know that when someone knows better or more than we do, it's actually probably great that we can't see what they can see because it probably would bring fear, not confidence. Right? If we don't have all the information, if we don't understand the big picture, it would bring us fear, not confidence. And I love the sentiment that David expresses in verses four through seven. Look at those once more with me. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. And they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. One of the ways that these verses are telling us, friends, one of the ways that we commit to praising God's name is by learning from those who have come before us what he has done. If you knew Jack, lived 95 years, you learned from him what God has done. We not only do that, we faithfully relay God's goodness to those who come after us. I believe, friends, that verse four, it's giving us a mandate, a direct instruction this morning. It is my job to tell my kids how good God is. It doesn't fall to anybody else. Other people can help, but it's my job. 
We'll take it even a little farther. It's our job as believers and as a church to tell every child that we can reach how good God is. But if we are going to do it, if we're going to tell our kids, our teenagers, our college students how good God is, there's something very important that's written in verse 5. Look what he says there. David says in verse 5, I will meditate on your wonderful works. Friends, if we're going to relay God's providence and goodness to those people that come after us, then we have to spend time understanding what they are. We've got to know what they are if we're going to relay them to somebody else. That's why it's so important to come to church and we sing songs like Simone, who sang today also. She led us last week in this song, uh, Goodness of God, and we sing, All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so good. What we're doing when we sing that is we are meditating on his wonderful works. And when we do that with our kids standing next to us when we're about to take communion, because they're in here when we take communion, we're passing it on to the next generation. We're teaching them what we know about God. I don't know about you, but when I sing that song while focusing my heart on what God has done, it gives me a new and a deeper understanding of his mighty works. It's a beautiful song regardless. Simone sings it really well. I love hearing her sing it. love hearing her lead it. It's a beautiful song regardless, but when I think of what God has done and I connect it to those words as I sing them, I have a deeper appreciation for God's righteousness. If you were a parent or a grandparent, you have any type of influence over young people, then you may have noticed that uh, you managed to influence those uh, young people that are with you without even trying. Just the way it works. We naturally emulate uh, those that we look up to. You probably don't realize it. Maybe you do. You don't realize that you use the same phrases all the time with your kids. But uh, several weeks ago, my son Luke, who's eight, and Luke, if you saw his room, I'm glad you can't see his room because it's a mess. No matter what we do, it's always a mess. That's what happens when an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old share a room. But Luke's got probably 100, 120, 130, what he calls stuffies, stuffed animals. And when we moved, we got rid of a lot of stuffies, and somehow he still has a lot of stuffies. And uh, I love that about him. He's got this wild imagination. Love it about him. And uh, Luke, uh, several weeks ago, I heard him in his room. And uh, he was saying, he's saying, now I don't think that's going to work if we're going to leave. I think, bud, we might need some shoes and some socks and a shirt. And I was like, what is he saying? I went in there, and he was putting clothes on one of his bears, like, uh, you know, a shirt and underwear, shoes and socks. And he was saying exactly what I say to him when it's time to leave and he has no shoes and socks on. I say, hey, Luke, bud, I don't think that's going to work. I think we're going to need some shoes and socks before we leave. <laughs> I didn't teach him to say that. He's just heard me say it to him 10,000 times. We naturally emulate those that we look up to. If we're making a decision to praise God, then our kids and our grandkids, they're going to emulate that. If we're making a decision, though, to be complainers, then our kids and our grandkids, they also will emulate that. One thing that has proven uh, to be so true in my life is that the more time I spend meditating on the things of God, the less time I have to complain. There's a lot of complainers in this world. I really want to try hard to not be one of them. And the more time I spend meditating on the things of God, the less time I have to complain. I will not stand before you and say that life, even with God guiding us, is fun and easy all the time. That would not be true. 
but our kids and our grandkids, the kids that are in our classes and they're in our vacation Bible school, they go to camp with us, they need to see us celebrating God's abundant goodness. They need to see us and hear us joyfully singing of his righteousness. Tell you what, when your kids know you're going through something, but you still come to church and you sing, I will sing of the goodness of God, that's going to mean something to them. It's not that we don't notice or acknowledge when days are hard. God does not ask us to do that. In fact, what we can do is bring our hardest and our biggest problems to God. But we do refuse to allow complaining to be part any of our go-to response when the water gets deep. We do exactly what verses four through seven tell us. We listen to those who came before us about what God has done. And we tell those that we have influence over what God has done and what he is currently doing. When we do that, we not only enlarge God's place in our heart, but we help our families enlarge God's place in their heart. I'll tell you this, friends, as we move toward a season where there's so much focus on giving and receiving the gifts, which, of course, are not bad things in and of themselves. Those are great things. There's no greater gift that you and I can give our families than to show them how good God is. It's the best gift you can give your family is to show them how good God is. And I would encourage you to look for specific ways that God has been good or shown his greatness. Look for chances to share those with your family or with those around you. Not only in our heart, but in the hearts of those who come after us. The reason we sing is because it enlarges God's place in our heart. The second reason that we sing is kind of obvious. We sing because God is worthy of our praise. It might seem like kind of an obvious thing to say. You're like, yeah, we're at church. We sang the songs. We get it. But what David does here is he spends time next telling specific reasons that God is worthy. Like I said before, one of my Steelers sweatshirt, there are reasons that we like what we like and we do what we do. I like to drink this uh, soda called Coke Zero. The reason I like it is because it tastes a little bit like regular Coke as long as it's cold. If it's not cold, it's not good. Tastes more like regular Coke than Diet Coke. I'm too old to be drinking regular soda all the time and Diet Pepsi is gross. Those are the reasons that I drink Coke Zero. (laughs) Just so you know. There's reasons we do the things we do. Just like there are reasons for the silly decisions like that we make in our lives, there's reasons that God, the creator, is worthy of our praise. And what God does, or what David does, he takes us through some of those in this second part of Psalm 145. We're going to break it down as we go through it. I have three specific reasons that God is worthy of our praise today, and I want to point them out to you this morning. As we look for this first one, let's read together Psalm 145, uh, verses 8 through 13. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all your people may know your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. So we move in to the second part of this psalm. We see one of the reasons that God is worthy of our praise is because of his grace. This is something that is central to the Christian faith. It's essential to our belief 
that we can know the God who created us in a personal way and we can one day join him in heaven. The reason that can happen is because of his grace and his compassion, God's grace and God's compassion. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, I said this at uh, Jack's memorial yesterday, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the part that sometimes we don't like to talk about as much in church, but the reality is, friends, myself, you, everybody in between, every one of us are sinners. We are. We have sin in our hearts. We're sinful, and that separates us from God. I believe this morning that we can't understand that God is worthy of praise unless we understand how much we need forgiveness. Don't need to praise God if we don't understand how much we need him. Now, besides the fact that God created the universe and he created us, besides the fact that he somehow hears every single prayer that we pray, the enormity of God's grace is one of the reasons that God is worthy of our praise. The fact that he forgives me each and every time when I ask. It's a reason God is worthy of my praise. God is gracious and compassionate towards us. You'll recognize that because you hear me quote it all the time. I usually quote it out of Psalm 103. That's my favorite. To me, this means that God extends forgiveness to us even when our hearts are sinful. And a little later on in Romans, Paul writes this, right? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5.8. The reason God sent his son Jesus as a spotless sacrifice for us is because of that grace and compassion. Because God is slow to anger, and rich in love. And because God is slow to anger and rich in love, even when we repent of our sin but return to it the next day, God does not quickly write us off in anger. God is so rich in love that he has enough to spare for us even when we need to ask over and over and even when we are undeserving. Even when we ask forgiveness and we mean it from the bottom of our heart but we fail miserably the next day. God is slow to anger and rich in love, and he proved that by sending his only son for us. God is full of goodness, verse nine tells us. He not only has compassion upon certain people, but he has compassion upon all that he has made, it says in there. That grace and compassion is what defines the nature of God. It's what enables verses 10 through 13 that we just read to be true. You see, because of God's glorious grace, everything uh, he has made, and those who follow him, they praise him with their very existence. Because God breathed his life into mankind, because God breathed his life into you and me, all of us tell of God's glory just by our every breath. And throughout time, God's grace is shown in the works of his mighty hand. You go read the Bible, you go look at history. Oceans parted and nations defeated, death overtaken and defeated. And we can see it in his delicate design of the most intricate parts of you and I. He is the one who parts the oceans, defeats the nations, and defeats death. But did you know also that there are 30 trillion cells in every human body? And every one of those 30 trillion cells is designed lovingly by God himself. And you would think that if God put that much love and care into us, that he would make sure we could never go against his plan for us. Yet he gives us free will to live on earth and live in a way that's contrary to him if we wish. You know, if I had put that much love 
and effort into someone, design 30 trillion cells, I would put them in a glass case and be like, do not go anywhere else because I designed you lovingly and I don't want you to get hurt. But God gives us free will. And that free will means we can live in a way that's contrary to him if we want. But God's grace and compassion is such that he has provided a way back to him for us. Provided a way back to him through the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus. See, friends, God is worthy of our praise because of his grace. Get verses 14 through 16 with me today. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Within these verses is a picture of faithfulness. God is faithful to us. And God is worthy of praise because of his faithfulness. Uh, if you have been around at all, you know that I'm a dog person. So when I think of examples of faithfulness on this earth, I think of golden retrievers. Faithful dogs. If you're a cat person, this example doesn't work for you because there's no such thing as a faithful cat, I don't think. <laughs> I knew I was going to get that. Uh, we just got this golden retriever a few months ago. Uh, his name is Finn. He's the biggest, goofiest golden retriever ever. And this dog, Finn, uh, he is so faithful to my wife, and we don't know why. I mean, she's nice to him, but he has chosen her, and he is faithful to her at all times. When she gets up and moves across the house, he gets up and he moves across the house. She has this little spot. She likes to sit and read in the mornings, and he goes... When she sits down to read, he like sits on her lap. He will not let her go anywhere. This dog is relentlessly faithful to her. We don't know why. This dog sees other dogs on the TV, and he's not smart enough to know they're on the TV, and when they go off the screen, he'll go behind the TV to see if they're there. Yet he's incredibly faithful to my wife at every turn. Example of faithfulness. On a more serious note, when I think of faithfulness, I think of our wonderful brother Jack who between his first wife, Jack Holmes, between his first wife who passed away of Parkinson's and our dear Darlene who's not here this morning, um, he, spent nearly se he spent 74 years of his life faithfully married. That's an example of faithfulness right there. I'm sure if we could interview Jack, he would tell us that not all of those days or years were easy. But he spent more time married than a lot of us spend alive. And to my knowledge, it did not affect his faithfulness any of those hard times. It's a picture of faithfulness that God had put in his heart. To an even greater extent, this is what we see in David's description of God here in verses 14 through 16. See, what I love about it is there's no condition given for God's faithfulness in these verses. I think I have this on the screen, but God's faithfulness is not based on how good we are, but on how much he loves us. God's faithfulness has nothing to do with how good you are, friends. And as faithful as Jack was, God is infinitely more faithful. In these verses, we see of God's character that he does this. He helps those who fall, according to verse 14. He lifts those who carry a heavy burden. If you're here today, if you're listening to this somewhere, if life has gotten harder than you expected, you need to know that God is ready to lift you. God is ready to lift you with his hand when you're burdened. God provides for our needs at just the right time, David tells us in verse 15. 
God's hand is open to every living thing. Verse 16 so beautifully says. God's compassion and grace, they're such that no matter how long we have gone without serving him, he's faithful to us the moment we turn to him. Not only is he faithful to us, he's faithful to us without requiring that we repay debt. It's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is one of the reasons that he is worthy of our praise. As we approach the end of Psalm 145 this morning, let's take a look at verses 17 through 20. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. We see in these three verses, God is worthy of our praise because of his righteousness. God's righteousness, friends, is proven throughout time by his unending goodness to his people, his unending goodness to you and me. Verse 18 says something really important. It tells us that God comes near to all who call on him in truth. And there actually is a specific way that we can call on God in truth. There's a way to do exactly that. Jesus says this in the New Testament, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do you call on the God of truth? Will you accept his son who is truth come to earth? Another word for righteous is goodness. And because God is good, when we call on the truth of Jesus, his son, God draws near to us because of his goodness. God is so good to us and so righteous that when we call on the truth, he saves us and he even fulfills the deepest desires of our hearts when we live a life that honors him. This only proves the goodness and righteousness of God because God, he created us and he gave us breath, yet even the things, yeah, he even gives us the things that we want on this earth when we honor him. He gives us the desires of our heart according to his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Finally, there's something so important in verse 20. Because there is always this question, and it is a valid question, if God is so good, how does he deal with bad people or bad things? Well, it tells us actually right here in verse 20, uh, God destroys the wicked. God destroys the wicked. The Bible is full of proof that we have many chances to turn to God. But if people make a choice to be wicked and they never make that choice to turn to God, then in the end, that path leads to destruction. God will destroy the wicked. You see, because of God's goodness, we do not have to take vengeance into our own hands. I'm so thankful for that. He's not only good to us, he brings destruction upon the wicked, and he even does so on our behalf because he fights for us. On Wednesdays, we've been talking through a little bit of Exodus. God is fighting for the Israelites, the edge of the Red Sea. The thing we have to keep in mind, though, is that the definition of wicked is up to God, and it's not up to us. I don't get to tell God, hey, so-and-so is wicked, therefore I think you should destroy them. It's up to God how many chances he wants to give them, how long he wants to give them to repent. It's one of the ways that God is righteous and God is worthy of our praise because he's righteous. David puts a period on it by saying once more that he will make his conscious decision to praise God. Last verse, verse 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever 
and ever. Friends, we're gonna get ready to sing, do exactly that uh, this morning. This morning, friends, we sing because it enlarges God's place in our heart. And we sing because God is worthy of our praise. So you might be asking today, hey, you know what, John? I really like this thing you're saying about enlarging God's place in my heart. That sounds really good. But listen, I don't really feel like considering the present circumstances of my life that God is particularly worthy of my praise. If you knew all the details, the circumstances, I don't think you would say that God's worthy of my praise. It's been rough. I know that's probably not right, but that's how I feel. I've certainly been there at some points in my life, as you probably have. But here's the thing I love about uh, when you read this. We, you hear about David, and there's things you know about David, right? He was a man after God's own heart. That was his nickname. David was a man who killed a giant with just a sling and a stone. He was the greatest king of Israel. He wrote a bunch of these psalms that we read. But you can take heart because you have much in common with David if you're like, you know what, God doesn't seem that good all the time. Because David, who wrote these words that we've just looked at today, if you want to go read them, there are many psalms where David expresses anger and frustration toward God. Same one who just wrote, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. He also wrote Psalm 35 and 55 and 59. 69, 79, 109, 137. Those are all good examples. Many times in those Psalms, if you go read those, you're gonna see David say to God some version of, listen, God, how long are you going to stand and watch while I suffer? How long do I have to go through this? Those seven Psalms I just mentioned, the same one who just wrote, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. The same guy who wrote that, he says to God, listen, are you actually even there? But the key in where we see David's faith is that David, he chooses to praise God anyway. Even when he's wondering, Lord, how long will I suffer? Are you even there? He chooses to praise God anyway. David makes a choice as he writes to enlarge the space that God inhabits in his heart. And today, friends, I believe that is our response in our hearts. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? We're going to get ready to close and sing. Friends, you need to know today that God created you for one reason. God created us to be with him. And God created us to be with him, but our sin separates us from God. So grateful of this next part, and that is that sin cannot be removed by good deeds. Jesus paid the price for our sins by coming to earth and living a life with no sin and dying and rising again. And when we make a decision in our hearts to put our trust in Jesus, we receive eternal life. We're going to get ready to sing in a moment, but if you make that decision today in your heart, if, if you're sitting in your seat and you're hearing this, then you need to know if you make that decision in your heart to ask forgiveness of your sins, then life with Jesus starts today and it lasts for as long as your life is surrendered to him. If you're here today and you know Jesus, which I think is the vast majority of you, I'm just gonna ask you to do this. We're gonna give uh, the Lord a moment to speak before we sing. But if you know Jesus today, I'm gonna encourage you to prepare to enlarge the space in your heart as you sing. 
to reflect on just how gracious and compassionate and powerful and faithful he is. Even if it's, today has not been a great day to reflect on what God has brought you through. To reflect on the, uh, the deep sin that God has forgiven us of. The deep pain that he's brought us out of. So today, this morning, uh, Pastor Joey's going to prepare to lead us, or him and Simone are going to lead us in this song, Greater You, Lord, that fits perfectly with this psalm. Before we do that, I'm just going to give you a moment to reflect on what God is saying. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, I encourage you to whisper a prayer to him in this moment. I don't need to lead you. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Would you forgive me of my sin? For those of you that know the Lord already, just take a moment and allow God's presence to be enlarged in your heart. Lord, I pray in this, in this moment, that you would speak with your still small voice. You would let each person in this place feel and know your presence. Lord, I just keep coming back to us that to this, that your compassion and your grace, the fact that you were slow to anger and rich in love, that those things would overtake our hearts this morning. For those in this place, Jesus, that have been fighting the good fight, doing their best to serve you every day. I pray as they enlarge the space in their heart for you, uh, that you would begin to fill them as you never have before. As we sing this song and surrender, great are you, Lord. Friends, would you stand this morning as uh, Pastor Joey and Simone lead us in this song? If you need to accept the Lord and pray this morning, I'm gonna be down here. I'd love to pray with you today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.